Real Fun DC. Hospitality and a little bit of sass are always on the menu. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Industry Night with me, Nikki Nellis, on Real Fun DC. A quick little intro. Uh, I've been covering the DC food and wine hospitality scene for 18 years. Uh, you may hear me on the food and wine variety show, Foodie and the Beast, that we just celebrated 13 years on 1500. You may also hear me on WTOP, where I do trend reports and roundups. Uh, you do follow me at NYCCI, N-E-L-L-I-S, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and where it all began. The list, areyouonit.com, the online e-zine that talks about everything happening in the food and wine scene here in D.C., especially events. We list every single event. So if you're bored or you think you're bored, there is plenty to do. And then here we have Industry Night, a much deeper dive into what's happening in the hospitality and food space. But first, as I do on every show, I like to tell you about where I've been because I want to make you super duper jealous. And the last week, I have been really, really busy. So uh, took a quick overnight to Baltimore. We stayed at the Ivy, which is a Relay and Chateau property. So if you're not familiar with Relay and Chateau, it, uh, being at Little Washington, is also a Relay and Chateau property. So think in that vein when we're talking about luxury. Um, the rooms are gorgeously appointed um, and the common areas are really beautiful and there's a variety of them because it's multiple townhomes put together so the conservatory is filled with windows and beautiful light and gorgeous plants and then there's a library area with lots of books and games and a fireplace you really want to sort of walk around to each room and sort of sit for a spell in each um we did a lovely tea there but i do want to warn you it's not a high tea but it was a lovely tea nonetheless uh that night we headed out to charleston the famous restaurant by cindy wolf and tony foreman uh this is over in harbor east and um this restaurant is over 20 years old and there is really a reason why it continues to receive the accolades that it does um it's it's really fabulous so they offer a variety of tasting menus three course four course five course or six course um dessert is included in the price but not included in the courses um and everything from the food to the service to the thoughtfulness was just fantastic um and what i thought was really interesting is that it's a white table cloth restaurant it's it's upscale fine dining, um, really a last bastion of it. And this was a Wednesday night in Baltimore and the place was packed, packed at eight o'clock at night uh, and tables were turning over. So um, good on them for uh, the success that they've built. And if you have an opportunity to go there, um, it's definitely a special occasion destination. Uh, we did have breakfast the next morning at Magdalena's, which is in the Ivy. Uh, and then of course, if you know me, you know I went for a second breakfast. We went to Sacre Sucre, which is a new patisserie in Fells Point. Um, they do French takes of modern, uh, modern takes, modern French takes, excuse me, on uh, classics like monkey bread. So this is not your grandma's monkey bread at all. Um, this is totally different and totally delicious. And I wish I had one with me right now. I also got their brownie, um, which everybody I was with was like, why would you get a brownie? But brownies to me are 
how well you bake because it's really hard to find the right ratio when it comes to a brownie. It could be too cakey, it could be too fudgy, it could be too chocolatey, it could be too sweet. The right ratio is so important. And I will say, Sephra Sucra, hit that on the head. Now, I did have to race home from Baltimore because I was playing judge at the pet Halloween competition at the Fairmont Hotel. Um, they have a pretty looks patio. So over a hundred dogs and their owners paraded around in full-on costumes while the bar lubricated uh, all the humans with these smoking cocktails. And of course there were bowls of waters and house-baked biscuits for the dogs. Uh, there are a few winners that I just have to shout out to because they were so creative. Uh, the Lost Zebras of Maryland have been found. They were at the Fairmont all dressed up. Uh, there was this senior dog who was blind and deaf, who was dressed up as a loaf of Wonder Bread. Now, I don't know if he knew where he was or what was happening, but he was the winner because he was just delicious. Uh, I also checked out RPM Italian. So this is Chef Massimo Vicidomini. Um, he's just rolled out a new dinner menu and they invited us in to see what they were doing. And um, the space is wild. It's always packed. It's always got a great vibe. And they are doing some really fabulous dishes. So the burrata panzanella, they're doing this big eye tuna crudo, this whipped ricotta and honey. Also um, truffles. I think we had truffles slivered, sliced and diced on absolutely everything. My hair smelled delicious for days. Uh, we were treated to a vast offering of their incredible wine cellar. Um, and as I said, stuffed with truffles. So it was not bad. And if you are in the convention center slash Mount Vernon area, um, it's certainly a place worth checking out. I do highly recommend reservations. Lastly, yes, I did eat more. I made a quick trip to Annapolis um, and we went to Frederick Depew's Flamont. Now you may remember Frederick Depew restaurants here in the DC area, but he is now in Annapolis and it's a real little gem. It's a little bit away from the downtown area, um, but he is serving his beautiful cuisine, gorgeously plated uh, in just a terrific little atmosphere. Um, if you go for a little day trip to Annapolis, I would certainly end it on um, Chef de Pew's Vermont's note. Okay, so I've been eating a lot. What else is new? So on to the show. Uh, a while back, I was introduced to John Agri, a longtime entrepreneur who started Din Din back in August 2020. I mean, that was like pandemic central. So he started it to address the needs of sort of the meal prep and meal delivery, delivery industry. Now, John has been on Foodie and the Beast a few times, and I am really intrigued by his business model which is why I asked him to join me today and bring with him a variety of people that he works with or works with him. So I have Patrick Holland, who is the CEO and founder of Bar Therapy. I have Chef Leonardo Rivolo of Pasta Il Gatto and Bernie Rousseau, who also works with Dindin to provide us all a variety of takes of how this platform works and not just helps the chef community, but also helps the consumer community. So John, Thanks so much. Let's start with you. Sure. Thanks a lot, Nikki, for having me. I really appreciate it. So uh, by way of background, this is uh, company number five for me. 
So I've been an eternal entrepreneur for the last almost 40 years. Uh, most of it has been in the tech space. Um, so as a backdrop, August 2020, I'm reading the front page of many newspapers across the country. And there's a common theme. And the theme is, is that restaurants are shutting down. And I started to think to myself, you know, what's going to happen to the mom and pop restaurant? I, I assumed that the large change chains would survive, right? But in terms of the mom and pop restaurant, what's going to happen to them? Uh, I didn't see any rescue capital on the horizon, by the way. And then equally important, what about the line chefs behind the scenes that are doing all of the real heavy lifting and all of the cooking? When they get laid off, where are they going to go? And so with my skill set, I thought that Dindin would be a wonderful opportunity to create an online dual marketplace where micro entrepreneurs, we're talking line chefs, we're talking food truck operators, we're talking, talking catering companies, uh, or in this case, mom and pop restaurateurs who have lost their leases could cook out of shared kitchen environments, commercial kitchens. And then we at Dindin would take the friction out of what it would take in order for them to monetize their experience to the end consumer. So that means getting them a new customer, oftentimes beyond their normal reach. We would collect the payment. We would curate, essentially look at it like a virtual food court in a box, if you will, and then get it to the end consumer. And if we could do that and do that very well, we thought that there would be a win-win for all parties. Well, I mean... On paper, it does sound really fabulous, but it also sounds like a like a multi multi ten, tentacled octopus because I, you're totally right when you talk about sort of not the big chefs or the big restaurant tours um, that there are all these people who were let go uh, who needed to find jobs. But what I think is really interesting, and the food trucks especially. I mean, food trucks got decimated during the pandemic and caterers. So my question kind of is is not only how did you find these people, but then you're supplying the kitchen space because that's kind of the hardest part. Yeah, so look at us like a software company. So much like Uber does not own the drivers or does not own the cars, they're essentially a software company at heart. Uh, we're a software company. So what we do is we partner with these shared kitchens, cloud kitchens, ghost kitchens, Everybody's got a different naming nomenclature for it, right, but essentially right, there are these right. commercial entities. Sometimes it's just, you know, subleasing of an existing restaurant that's got infrastructure, right? We don't own those, but what we do is we partner with them because by doing so, they're a channel partner to the very chef that's using that space. Okay. So you're able to bring people together like find the kitchen spaces? Because I assume some of the chefs that come to you or cooks that come to you don't have access to those spaces. So you're able to create that partnership? Oftentimes, by the time we arrive at the ghost kitchen, the chefs are already leasing space there, like okay. the two chefs that we're going to talk about now. So <laughs> in some cases, if they need a resource and they're new to the game, they can reach out to Bernie and Bernie would guide them. But oftentimes, by the time we parachute into the ghost kitchen, they already have 40, 50, 60, 70 chefs wow. using, using it in a shared environment. And so by us partnering with them, they get the word out to the chefs to say, Din Din is one more marketing tentacle that you could use to monetize your cooking experience. So that's really interesting because I didn't really realize that. And you've been on my other show twice, but 
yes, ghost kitchens are not new. They are not a pandemic driven concept. They were actually elevated because of the pandemic and people actually got to know of them. But there were lots of people who were cooking in these secret areas and putting out food on Uber under different names and just did not, you know, Uber, you know, delivery apps, so to speak, and not knowing about it. So it didn't occur to me that you were able to come into places that were already functioning, not just hooking up people who were like, you know, I want to make pasta or I want to make whatever and uh, help me out. Right. Right. Yeah, and, and that's true. And even if they were dependent on these third-party apps, typically these third-party apps would deliver within a restricted radius, right? And right. it's usually tight, three miles, maybe two miles. They'll deliver it to you on demand in 20 minutes or so because the food's got to be hot. We're not an on-demand model. So we're really all about the family that's intentional about their meals for next week and want to curate multiple meals for multiple members of the family with multiple tastes and styles. And then we'll get it to them. And oftentimes our reach is 30, 40 miles away. Wow. So let's talk about, before we get to the chefs, let's talk about how you do that, how you get all the product, how you package the product, and then how you get it to the consumer. Yeah. So it's, it's complex, right? There's a reason why there aren't a lot of folks that are doing what we're doing. So we believe at our core, if we can solve this last mile issue, mm-hmm. anybody can cook veal parmesan. That's not hard. We've got competition that does that. But if we can figure out this sort of complex last mile, which is curating it, making sure that we have it cooled under 40 degrees and then deliver it to you consistently, that we can win and we can have first mover advantage. So the way it works is that a customer comes into our platform, they can order 72 hours in advance, right? Starting next week, we're gonna be delivering from Monday through Friday. That wasn't always the case. And then what we do, which is part of the complexity is, we will curate all of the different meals. Your daughter might be vegan. Your husband might want short rib. You might want stuffed tilapia from another chef. We will curate it either within that same ghost kitchen or in some cases from multiple locations, bring it to our hub and spoke, if you will, to our central nerve system. And then, and this is very early in the morning, right? So all of the food is being cooked overnight in most cases to be delivered the next morning. Okay. And so at five, six o'clock in the morning, we're like elves on Christmas morning, right? And we are curating your meals from multiple chefs, getting it in a box, putting the adequate number of ice packs in there to make sure that it's below a certain temperature. And then our partnership would rest in limousines uh, because we did not want to use some of the other third-party vendors for a whole host of reasons. But rest in limousine will have their chauffeurs and their limos, their black escalades, arrive in a caravan. We put them there. They've got addresses and as well as software to guide them. And then it's delivered to your home. And when you, when you get it, you just heat and serve two or three minutes later, you're enjoying a delicious meal. Now, are you recommending that people order like a week's worth or how, how do people utilize the platform? Yeah, so we've been around for 14 months and we've been doing a lot of testing and it looks like folks are ordering a, a week at a time, which makes sense, right? Because of limited refrigeration space, right? And plus people, you know, don't want to be in the frozen food business, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So a week's worth, three to five days, seven days is typically what we're seeing. 
Okay, so that's how to use it. All right, great. Well, John, what I'd like to do is take a little break from you since now we have a better understanding of the Din Din platform and how it works. And now talk to some of the chefs who use your platform and what happens with it. But before we do that, I'm going to take a quick break. This is Nikki Nellis on Industry Night Real Fun DC. Follow me at NYCCINELLIS on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Of course, check out the list, areyouonit.com, the online zine that lists everything happening in the DC metro area. And we'll be back in just a sec. It's Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Thanks for listening to Real Fun DC. Now back to Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Hey, it's Nikki Nellis, and I'm back on Industry Night on Real Fun DC. Thanks so much for joining us. So we're talking about Din Din. I sort of like to say Din Din is done done. Uh, John Agre uh, launched his meal prep and meal delivery platform during the pandemic, and um, he works with area chefs and craft artisans and other people to put these meals together and get them to you. Uh, so first up, I'd like to talk with chef uh, Leonardo Ribolo of Pasta Il Gato. Hi chef, how are you? Hello, how are you? So chef, um, Leonardo Ribolo, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, thank you for having me with you. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into cooking? Uh, okay, so... Basically, I began to cook in my early 10 years old with my grandfather, my grandmother. Mm -hmm. So I remember when I, you know, when I finished the school, I stopped by in my grandparents' house. And this is how I started to cook like uh, handcrafted meals, you know, like pizza, pastas, and, and all the stuff like that. Also bread and all the stuff. This is how I started to have passion for food. Mm -hmm. So in my early 20s, I went to the culinary school. Uh, for four years in Montevideo, Uruguay, South America. And I started to develop my knowledge to different caterings and also restaurants. So that's how it began. And what restaurants did you go into? And were you working in the States? Were you working abroad? Where were you working in? No, I was, I was working in different Italian restaurants in my country, Uruguay, Montevideo, mm -hmm. because it's, um, it's so many Italian restaurants there because the culture the culture on Uruguay and also Argentina and societies as uh, about Italian food. Hmm. So that's why, yeah, that's why I begin um, all my, basically my career and, and other type of restaurant. Okay, and so what brought you to this area? So in 2000, 2003, I came to America. So mm -hmm. I came to Washington DC, Northern Virginia area. And um, basically, I still develop my knowledge in different restaurants. I was working in Galileo restaurant uh, with Roberto Dona. I also was working in Cafe Milano. Uh, in 2007, I decided to start to work in a, a catering company. Okay. So for uh, to do different different catering companies, and I was a chef. A sous chef and executive chef with different caring companies on the DMV area. Well, I would assume moving from like working with Roberta Donna Galileo, um, Roberta Donna is an old, old friend. Um, he actually helped me get started in the business. Um, <laughs> good, yeah, and I, I, I did, I adore him. Um, but, you know, working in a restaurant versus working as a caterer is very different, right? Your hours are different, your lifestyle is a little different. So it's a most, I think, chefs find it a nice switch. Did you? Yeah, yeah. It, it was it was a, a huge impact for me because I was working usually 
during the night time all the time. And mm -hmm. I remember when I switched to the catering company because uh, catering company is completely different how it works. You know, I wake up very early and I start to produce big uh, breakfast, large amount, you know, and also like uh, doing events at the night time. So it was so many hours and it was completely different, but I want to, I was um, ready for something different, you know what I mean? So, mm -hmm. and, and I think I want to just change a little bit because doing catering in America is understand more about food uh, culture, you know, in America, you know what I mean? So not just Italian food, uh, how I begin in my country and also how I begin in America, you know, with Roberto Dona, Cafe Milano. So it was Italian food, Italian food, all the time, Italian food. That's because I'm changed and I switched for the catering to try to do, you know, something, something more, you know? No, I think that makes sense. So now, uh, 2020 hits, pandemic, uh, were you deciding to start your own business? Were you let go exactly. from the catering agencies? Because I mean, I work with a ton of caterers. And I, I know that, you know, some of them were hit just so hard to okay. let go of staff that had been with them for years and years and years. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't because they wanted to, you know? Yeah, 2020 was, I think it changed for everyone, right? So 2020 was the pandemic came to us. And, and I remember that day that we lose a, I, I, I was a former head uh, chef in a catering company in Alexandria. And it's just one week we lose all the contracts you know, all the weddings, all the galas in Washington, D.C., everything we lose in one week. Um, yeah. And everyone went to layoff. I remember that day when I when we sent the layoff, all my cooks and also the owner, my sous chef and I, we just, you know, have a meeting in the kitchen without nothing to do. So, so after a while, I went to the layoff also, and I remember that day, I was driving for like a 10, 20 minutes before to get home, and I have a little meeting with my, yeah. and, I, and, I have a, and I have a little meeting with my wife, and I say, okay, we need to do something. So just waiting for everything change again, or start with your business. And that's how we decide to open Pastel Gato and go back to, you know, my roots, my, my deeper passion is the pasta and, and that's how I started to do pasta gato. So now did you go to a commissary kitchen, a ghost kitchen? I mean, where did you go to make your pasta and how did you and your wife decide to get it to the public? Because it's one thing to make it, yeah. you gotta get that's people a, to eat it. This is a, yeah, it was a big challenge because everything was closed at that time. Everything was so hard because uh, to try to open the business, for example, was, very difficult because everything was closed. Nobody answered phones, you know, to get the license, to get, you know, everything. So to found the kitchen, you know, so definitely we, we found the like Frontier Kitchen in Lorton. So, and we can rent, uh, we can make a contract for a year. So in Frontier Kitchen, and that's what, how we start to do um, deliveries, you know, home deliveries. So that's, it was the first idea, try to do home deliveries and, if you have the chance to try to do farmer market also. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is how we start <clears throat> to begin the, 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 the company and also how to start to show a product to the customer around, you know, but pretty so much. How did, you, how did you hook up with John? How did Din Din get in front of your face? 
Okay, uh, Lorian. Lorian uh, was manager on Frontier Kitchen, and she came mm -hmm. to me one day and she said, "Leo, I think it's going to be great. You you handcrafted pasta to show it to Dindin." And I remember uh, I told Lorian, "Okay, remember my handcrafted pasta is a dish. The sauce. I make a handcrafted pasta and also sauces. The sauces are really good, but the handcrafted pasta for cooking at home." Mm -hmm. So I remember I said, Lorian, so my pasta is fresh, you know, I mean, for cook at home. So, and Lorian said, okay, let me talk to with, um, it was, I guess, Anthony, it was Bernie, and okay, we have a couple meetings and we decide how to package my pasta. I, I, I explained to them how I do my deliveries, mm -hmm. okay, in, in, in the area. And, and we need to, and we start to work into how to package the fresh hand-crusted pasta, you know, and mm -hmm. how to deliver to the customer, how did they pick up my package and deliver to the customer. Okay, and so then they just started it with you and you were good with the packaging, like all of that worked for you? Exactly, so yep. So we, we come up with the packaging, we come up with the label, we come up with everything um, and so I make if it- I order from you, if uh -huh. I order through Din Din and I'm <laughs> ordering something from Il Gato, what am I ordering? You gonna be on a, you gotta go to the Indian platform. Uh, so you gonna be submit. Uh, you gonna be to uh, pasting Gato Chef. You gonna be see the meal that we have on the platform, mm -hmm. and you gonna be click over there. And right, but what's an example of one of your meals? One example. Yes. Okay, like for example, you can get like um, a spinach and bacon ravioli. Everything, of course, handcrafted. With uh, you can get arabiata sauce. There's um, a tomato sauce, basis in extra virgin olive oil, garlic, um, and fresh basil. Um, as well, you can you can order like pappardelle. Pappardelle is a thick um, Italian pasta uh, with a beef ragu. Um, we have a spinach and ricotta raviolis, and, you know, and, and, and I change all the menu every like one or two months. So the okay. people can, we can return the menu, people can choose something different, you know? Okay, great. Well, that sounds terrific and it does sound delicious. Um, and obviously I love Italian. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Thanks for listening to Real Fun DC. <sighs> Serving up thought for food. Now back to Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Not only is there food available on the site, but you can also craft your own cocktails at home. Uh, so uh, with me is uh, Patrick Holland. He is from Bar Therapy. And Patrick, um, you can unmute yourself and come on board. How are you? I'm wonderful, how are you? Good, so um, I do think it's really interesting that this is predominantly a platform where people are accessing dinner but now you're providing uh, cocktails or ready to be made cocktails, right? There's a little work that has to be done, but not much. So tell me a little bit of bar about bar therapy first. Absolutely. So uh, first of all, thanks for having me. It was really a pleasure to be here today. Mm -hmm. uh, so bar therapy originally was created via a vet company. And about four months prior to the pandemic, a lot of my customers mentioned to me, why don't you put these drinks into bottles? And I said, that's a great idea. Why not? So I was probably because well, it's hard. It is hard. That's like it's a great idea, but there's a reason why not everybody does it because you got to be able to do it and package it and make exactly. it right. Which, which is a knowledge I did not know about going into it, and sure. uh, definitely learned a lot of things the hard way about licenses, permits, how to bottle it, how to uh, extend shelf life, how to make it as fresh as possible, 
and we uh, we probably hit every single roadblock on the long way, but then we found out the best possible way to be able to provide the best possible product at the best possible price. Okay, so let's discuss your product and, and how about your background a little bit? I mean, were you working in a bar? I mean, how did this all come to be? Yeah, so I'm pretty much the LeBron James in the hospitality industry. I have lots of miles on me. Um, you know, I, I got to be honest with you. If I had a nickel for every time I hear somebody say I'm either the Susan Lucci or the LeBron James, everybody who works in the industry feels like they put in more hours than anybody else. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Um, so 18 years, restaurants, bars, you name it. Um, done everything from back to the house, uh, cooking with Food Johnson and Wales for Colonial Arts. Um, got my degree from George Mason University in event planning management. Uh, worked with the Great American Restaurants for several years. Uh, worked in DC, Clarendon, Arlington, bartending. Uh, did mixology with, uh, with speakeasies, uh, creating menus. And uh, I was in the industry for so long, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I started my first uh, business, uh, landscaping and building patios. I have an art background. That's a total, that's a total like right hook, right? Yes, yes. yes. I, I found that uh, going, uh, opening a business for money was way uh, the wrong way to open up a business. And I learned everything not to do opening up a business. So then I stuck to what I was good at, which was uh, creating dishes or creating beverages uh, that people love and enjoy and it can bring people together. Okay, so let's talk about how before pandemic, how bar like how you executed bar therapy and then how you had to evolve because events dried up right so how did you have to evolve to become successful during the pandemic and i mean i know we're still pandemic ish but to to today so uh what i was really known for when i my, my bartending years is creating special drinks for a drink of the day and uh my following room grew as years went on so i i was what we did is we found a way to put mixology in a bottle so it would be a quick and easy, efficient way for um, customers, whether they're at a restaurant, at a bar, at the, at the walls of their home, uh, even going to an event, uh, all they would have to do is add one more ingredient. Or, so there are cocktail mixers, but they're also mocktails. And mocktails, as we all know, are becoming mainstream going to 2022. So they're, really, have, they're really hot right now. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I we pride ourselves in probably having some of the best mocktails um, in a bottle out there. Uh, and well, the, let's sidebar on that for a little bit. So mocktails, you know, non-alcoholic drinks. You know, I've they can be the priority is balance, right? So if you're making a drink that you're going that you could or could not add alcohol to, how do you maintain that balance? Because to me, sometimes that it doesn't always work. Uh, that's a great question. So I truly believe- hey, Pat, I don't know if you've noticed, I am full of great questions. That's why I'm leading the show. <laughs> um, I truly believe a great cocktail is well-balanced. So <laughs> what we have done is we create all of our mocktails as if you're creating a cocktail, because there's no booze inside of it. Okay. Um, so there is, a, like for example, uh, I actually brought one of my drinks today. It's called the Queen Bee. Uh, okay. This is a lavender apple cider. Now it's not your typical apple cider. What we do is we take lavender from Blooming Hill Lavender Farm in, in Percyville, Virginia. We infuse it into a clover raw honey. The raw honey is from Centerville, Virginia, a Hall's Honey Farm. And then we blend that, just a little bit of that for mouthfeel. Again, that silkiness, silkiness um, mouthfeel on your palate. 
we blend that into an apple cider. The apples are handpicked from Pennsylvania. And then what we do is we take the pasteurized, oppressed apple cider down to our commercial kitchen in, uh, in Chantilly called Frontier Kitchen, where mm -hmm. we blend with roasted cinnamon, roasted anise, roasted clove, and orange zest. You get all those nice warm spices, but the zest adds a nice little tanginess. So nothing's too sweet, nothing's too dry. Um, and then what we do is we finish it off with a chai tea. It's called Old Town Spice Chai, which is actually a tea from Crossroads Tea Company, which is also a Virginia company. So this drink, this not only screams local, it's not okay. a tea, it's not just a cider. It is a, a premium beverage that if you add some bourbon to it, you're on a whole new level. Now, would you heat that up? Oh, yes, you can. That's, that's okay. another real great thing about all, most of our drinks are cross um, tangible. So you can have them hot, you can have them cold, um, however you like, it's, it's your decision. Once it's in your hands, it's your beverage. You can call so, it whatever you want. So I understand you're a frontier kitchen, much like Chef is as well. So how did Din Din speak to you? Um, because it's, I, I could think of so many different ways that my head would have gone to given what you're doing as a way to get your product out. I, I think Din Din is, brilliant it puts you in front of a totally different audience than probably you would be in front of normally but how did you work with them and and work with bernie and john to to make that happen we work with a lot of businesses whether it's a restaurant or a uh, distillery uh, one of the distilleries is marlarkey uh, marlarkey's out of bristol virginia and uh, tom murray is the, i believe the ceo over there and he's good friends with john and he said you know what pat you really need to talk to my good friend john so, and the, really the rest is history. Uh, John brought uh, us on to Eat Din Din. And uh, as we move forward, we'll be paired, not only our drinks pair with spirits and pair really good with Marlarkey spirits, mm -hmm. uh, they also pair with other meals on the Eat Din Din platform. Well, that's so, what I was gonna ask. Are you gonna try to partner with some of the chefs? Like would you and uh, Chef Leonardo maybe partner on a, you know, a, a dish and drink offering because that might be interesting to some people. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we, when we make sangrias, um, sangria mixes where all you have to do is add Cabernet um, or a, a sparkling rosé. We have uh, bubbly syrups where all you got to do is add your, your favorite Prosecco or your favorite champagne. Um, and, and then all you need to do now is, is bring on the handcrafted meal from a really nice, a, a famous chef from the local chef area. And uh, you've got the full experience, not just the drink or not just the meal. That's amazing. That's a, a really uh, interesting concept, uh, especially for a platform like this. I think that's a perfect segue to Bernie. Bernie, um, thank you so much for joining us. Can you just tell us what your role is at Dindin? Sure. Thank you so much for having me, Nikki. Right. So here at Dindin, I am in charge of our marketing and chef initiatives, as well as our FaceX platform, which is the platform that our chefs and consumers use to load meals and then order meals okay so, so how do they do that that's a i that's an amazing question to ask because it sounds like as john laid it out in the beginning of the show it does sound like in a, an incredibly large thing to handle so it is right uh we are essentially connecting consumers there's been this movement in recent years of consumers wanting to connect with artisans in their community. So we saw that need, created the platform, and I like to refer to us as a software company with heart and a chef-based mission. Mm -hmm. We empower the chefs to connect locally with people, but then sometimes beyond their normal reach. And of course, 
the core of our mission is that we give 100% of all meal price, it goes back to our chef partners. So we like to make sure people are aware of this because that's very uncommon in the industry. I think no, that well, is- I mean, especially with the platforms that are out there right now. I mean, listen, Uber Eats and all the delivery apps, those are not what you're doing, obviously. And I think, I think that's probably the hardest selling point for you all is explaining that you are not a delivery app. This is true. So we don't, to John's point, uh, we're not offering an on-demand meal. Our target consumer is really the busy family, busy working professionals who are time-strapped. But at the same, you know, at the same token, they're not looking to get a meal necessarily on demand. Their schedules may just not allow for that. So they actually enjoy the pre-planning process and being able to get together as a family or a couple and say, hey, what do we want to order? Have a variety of meals ready, to, you know, ready in the fridge to just heat up and go. Mm-hmm. So how do you work with like the two, um, I'm going to call well, they're both chefs. Pat is a chef too. And, and uh, Chef Leonardo, uh, with those two concepts that we discussed that we had earlier on the show, how do you work with them? Like, how did you work with uh, Chef Leonardo um, about making sure his packaging worked and that his directions were right and that it worked? And then given what Pat is doing with, um, you know, bar therapy, that's such a, they're so totally different. So how do you help get that, get that uh, conveyed to the consumer so that so we, thing they click on an order? Sure. We have a variety of marketing efforts. For example, we most recently have been in the local movie theaters. In addition, some new efforts that we're embarking on are pop-up ads. So when you're in targeted zip codes, you will see the Dinan ads come up. And so oh, that's not what I mean. Not advertising. This is not a marketing show. So I'm talking about how you get like how if I go to your site and I'm there, there's a lot on it. So how do you help the consumer navigate where they need to be so that they can have access to whatever it is they're looking for? Okay, sorry. So what a consumer would do is plug in their zip code. And from that, we populate a list of available chefs and menu options. That list filters down by type of cuisine, Uh, Mm -hmm. desired proteins. We we have a variety of filters that folks can use to get what they are interested in. And we also are going to showcase some things maybe they haven't been exposed to before. Mm -hmm. Like what? Uh, So potentially new types of cuisine. We have some African cuisine has been profiled in the past. If somebody maybe is not familiar and wants to give it a shot, here's their opportunity to do so. Mm -hmm. And also, um, you know, there, so I think some of the most interesting ones that we have, again, like the cocktails, a lot of people when they're ordering an Uber Eats, maybe haven't thought of getting a cocktail to pair with their meal. Mm -hmm. So now this is a different kind of opportunity where they can do that. At this time, how many uh, providers do you have? Uh, on the platform? We currently have 10 chefs that are on our platform and we are working right now to onboard new chefs. We are getting our chefs right now, mostly through the local ghost and community shared kitchens. Okay, and so that's how you're working with them. So you're not finding chefs who are just coming to you because they've heard about you. It's people who are already in facilities who are working. We are getting now as well chefs that have heard sort of word of mouth as we have built good rapport with the existing chefs that word does spread. So they are starting to now come in the other way. And for those folks, we do walk them through um, the process of the requirements. And if they're not quite there yet, we'll help them get connected with a community partner. You know, we'll say, hey, we've come into contact with these folks that can help you get ready to onboard with Dindin. Okay. And so let's talk about me, the consumer. So I go to the site and I want to order, um, what is my process? What exactly am I doing? 
Okay, so you'll go ahead and create an account. You would plug in your standard information, much like other platforms, your name, address, phone number, email, and then you'll get an email confirmation. And we do ask for you to go ahead and submit it. You know, we'll send you a one-time password. Once you've done that and successfully verified your information, you can then go in and browse the offerings that we have available for that week and that month and go ahead and place your order. And that is now going to happen where before it was a couple days a week, we're now going to a five-day-a-week delivery model, which was encouraged by our chefs and our consumers. So what does that mean? I heard John say that in the beginning of the show. So did you once only deliver once a week, but now I can say I want it on Friday or I want it on Tuesday. Is that how it works? That is how it works. So we, you know, consumers gave feedback that they needed more availability to chefs and they listened and have pivoted. And let's talk about with the holiday season coming up, are you guys doing anything or are the chefs sort of telling, are you hearing from feedback from both consumers and chefs that uh, we want Thanksgiving or we want holiday or we want to give gifts? What are you hearing from, uh, from everyone? So all of the above, folks want the ability to gift certificates. Uh, they would like some holiday meal options so they're not cooking for themselves, you know, mm-hmm. where they, they want some dishes that they can bring along to the family gatherings that they haven't had to prepare, but maybe they can say that they took the liberty of preparing. Mm-hmm. So all those things will be available yes. on the platform. When do you think we'll start seeing that? The holiday options will become available later this month. We are coordinating with our chefs right now to make that happen. I mean, I do think Pat's, uh, apple cider drink that he mentioned would be really good at anybody's Thanksgiving celebration because that just sounds perfect. Um, so, John, I want to bring you back. Thanks so much, Bernie. Um, I know that you guys have launched a 2.0. What does that mean? Yeah, thanks a lot for that. We actually did a soft launch, Nikki, this week of 2.0. So, we'll do the real launch, if you will, air quotes, uh, next week. We're sort of stress testing it internally, but essentially for anybody who's been on platform for the last year, if you go on the platform now, it is a 180 degree difference and improvement over the previous. The previous was sort of a minimal viable product, Mm -hmm. sort of get the platform out there and get feedback from our customers and our chefs and then iterate. So we're hopeful that uh, the new design will be one that grabs hold uh, we've got some new features on there, uh, too many to list, but the two that I'm most passionate about is the share buttons so that when you, Nikki, go in and let's say you order meals from Chef Kyle and let's say you love Chef Kyle's meals and you want to let everybody on your Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter know about Chef Kyle, there is going to be, there is a share button on the upper oh, right. Hi. And you can just click on it and boom, your friends are going to get a quick one or two sentences that say, you know what, hi, Billy or hi, Julie, you want to check this chef out, right? And we also have a share, share button on the meal level as well. So let's say there's veal parmesan and you love it and you just gave it a great review. You can click the share button and again, it'll go out to your social media. So I'm very passionate about that. But the way we've cataloged our meals as well, where you've got a meal category, a pantry category, which is where pets beverages will reside, right? Uh, We've got a dessert category and then um, uh, beverages, actually beverages is where pats would be. We've got pantry for like barbecue sauce, honey, that sort of thing. And then we've got desserts, I think is also going to be very attractive to our consumers. Excellent. Okay. So what I'd like to do is if I could get everybody to unmute for a second, let's get um, everybody's uh, social media 
platforms so they can check you out. Uh, Chef Leonardo, tell us uh, where we can find you uh, online and uh, on Instagram. In Instagram, uh, yeah, we can find an Instagram, um, uh, pastelgato mm -hmm. dot chef. Okay, great. And but Instagram Pat and also on Facebook. Excellent. Okay, and Pat, where can we find uh, you? Yeah, so our uh, website is www.farmtherapybeverages.com. Mm -hmm. You can also find us on Instagram, at DMV Mixology. You'll find hundreds of videos on how to make cocktails there. If you want to make a new cocktail at home, um, and then if you want to purchase all of our drinks, eatdindin.com. Excellent. Okay, great. Well, listen, I want to thank you all for joining me today. Uh, the Eat Din Din platform is certainly doing something that nobody else is doing. And I'm so glad we all got to sit around uh, and talk about it today. Well, it's always great to get a good group on the show who is doing really interesting and different things. And I think John Agri has really come up with a concept whose time has come, not just because of the pandemic, but because of how people are eating in general. And I love the ability to work with chefs who maybe you haven't heard of, but who are doing really competent and good food with a wide variety of cuisines. And now mocktails that can become cocktails. So do check out uh, eatdindin.com. It's a really cool platform. And uh, I am grateful that John took the time today to gather this crew so we could learn more about it. So I want to thank you all for joining me today. I'm Nikki Nellis on Industry Night on Real Fun DC. Follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And just one last thing, as I do on every show, while we are still in a pandemic on the edges, hopefully, um, if you're asked to mask up, please do. If you haven't been vaccinated, I don't know what you're waiting for. Um, and remember, there are distribution issues, supply chain breakups, and uh, staffing shortages. So be kind out there. Everybody's doing the best they can with what they got. Again, thank you for joining me, and I hope to see you next week. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis, Real Fun DC.